Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice, mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. Well, Simon Reynolds is a interesting guy. Lovely, lovely chap. Nice guest. Brilliant. I'll tell you what's fascinating, that link yet again with sport and education and getting stuff. I think mm. listeners will be another one that thinks, oh, yeah, sport again. And it was a, a bit of sport that actually gave him that that focus that's run through his career. Yeah. And without that, you know, you don't know what path he'd yeah. have been on and what he'd have And, he'd and have also done. making definitive decisions mm. i think that's mm. i think you said it and uh, it's that thing is that fact of it's quite easy just to stick with something because that's the momo- momentum and inertia yeah. and and he did something mm. to change that mm. uh, i think it's a lesson but also to him learned. explaining as well kind of that behind the scenes and under the bonnet of how important cash is that cash is king yeah, yeah. and you know uh, putting in place mechanisms to make sure that dental practices thrive because I genuinely believe that's the future for dentistry. Yeah, I think so. I think it's going to be very interesting. One, his podcast, but how dentistry over the next two years is going to Absolutely, absolutely. So welcome to our latest episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. And today we're delighted because we're joined by Simon Reynolds, who's the MD of Patient Plan Direct. How are you doing, Simon? Yeah, very well. Thanks, guys. And yourself? Yeah, very good. Nice to see you, Simon. Thanks for coming on. Lovely to see you again. Yeah, we're doing well. We're doing well. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me on. No, not at all. Not at all. Before we get into the whole patient plan direct story and how that business is thriving post-COVID, um, could you tell us a bit about yourself, your childhood, your pathway into dentistry? You know, how did yeah. you go from being a, a boy in shorts to a man in a suit? <laughs> but not today. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, childhood, wow. Um, a little while back now. Still fresh-faced, but probably a little bit older than, uh, than I look. Um, so, yeah, as a child, very sporty. Always love to be uh, love to be outside. Um, and, uh, Were you football or or uh, rugby? Uh, football, football. Um, I think as, as as per my frame, really. I think I'd have got destroyed on the uh, on the rugby pitch. Um, but golf really is my real passion, Chris. Oh, wow. and still is still is now. So I was a keen footballer when I was younger. Bit of athletics, squash, etc. But uh, yeah, I took up, I took up golf when I was about fourteen. Um, if I'm honest, at school, I was a little bit of a, uh, wasn't the greatest at school, a um, little bit of a class clown, shall we say. Um, but I, I firmly believe that getting into golf around 14 really sort of gave me a bit more structure to life and focus. and Almost a bit of discipline, get my in head effect. Down. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, and I just sort of got my head down at the right time ahead of, uh, of What do you play off now? Uh, I'm off five now. Wow, um, that's a good golfer. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> not, play, yeah. not playing with Simon, okay, if he asks you for a round of golf. <laughs> when, you, when you say off five now, did you ever get to scratch? Uh, I was so close, yeah. So I, st- I started at 14, and when I was 18, I, I, I got down to just to one. Knee almost scratch. Wow. So what, so in terms of... Being, I, I, I mean, I, I play incredibly badly. Yeah. But, uh, at what at what level does that is that? So you could have been professional. Yeah, I was going to say, did, was there an option of pro no. or something? No, I don't think so. And I, I, I know for a fact I was never good enough to be a pro. And I think you know you've got to be so so good these days to be to be a playing pro at least. Maybe may, maybe you know going into um, to be a club professional and coach etc. Then 
possibly. Um, but I think that's a tough career path these days. It's right. uh, it's dead man's shoes a lot with you know I think getting professionals jobs in in in, mm. in, a, in a golf club. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but, it's interesting uh, what you say though about um, golf and sport and that giving you kind of focus because there's a chap called Simon Monday. Um, who mm-hmm. does a podcast, Life Lessons from Sport. And he looks at, um, he speaks to loads of people from the world of sport, but people from the art in sport, but perhaps support sports people. And the crossover yeah. from sport to business and, mm. and sport to life in terms of how we manage ourselves and how we get on are, are just incredible. And it's interesting that in your own personal experience was it was mm. golf that gave you that structure, perhaps to mm. be a bit more sensible um, in, in, in growing up. So anyway, back to back to where we golf fourteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, I think it just made me get my head down at the right time, mm. education wise. Went through sixth form and then actually went on to study a degree called uh, at the University of uh, UCLan. UCAN with UCLan. Love love that strap line. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I went on to do a degree called sports technology, golf operations. So. Um, Sports technology yeah, golf uh, operations. Exactly, Chris. Exactly. Yeah. What? What the hell's that? Flip. <laughs> Who knew there was a degree yeah. of that? Yeah. So Did that it, just it basically quite... mean that you could play golf for three years? Essentially, yeah. And drink <laughs> as well. And drink as well. Um, so, uh, so yeah. No, I did. Uh, I did that, and then asked that exact same question when I'd finished. I was like, well, what? What does that mean? And what people? Where's that going to take me next? So. Stayed on and did a master's in uh, in finance and oh, wow. finished that. Still didn't know what to do. So uh, and the opportunity actually came up to, um, to 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 do a PhD to carry forward my yeah. um, my master's degree dissertation topic, which was um, alternative budgeting mechanisms in corporate organisations. Wow. Um, yeah, it's that, that um, almost not, sounds like it could be a bedtime story read out on calm. Uh, sounds really it, exciting, it doesn't, doesn't it? Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, did you uh, do your PhD? I started my PhD, uh, and literally within a matter of I think six weeks, realized I'd made a huge mistake. I think I didn't know what to do, and I, I, I sort of naively assumed that. Well, A, I thought another three years at university, brilliant, um, but very quickly realized uh, that uh, it was going to be very hard work and, and very independent work as well, mm. you know, sort of going in and doing your own research, writing papers, wow. etc. I think it would have just, in terms of what I was doing, it would probably led me into academia, which um, I wasn't overly mm. um, fussed on. You know, it's, it's a great path for some people. I don't, I don't think it was for me. So, mm. um so yeah, I still stand by the decision that you know sometimes if it's not right, quitting early is a good, yeah. a good, a good I thing. I tell you what, Simon, yeah. that's impressive for the, in your words, class clown, uh, fourteen <laughs> or something, so they'd end up with a masters in finance because I can't imagine that was a stroll in the park either. No, it wasn't. It was. I really enjoyed it though, and uh, and still do. I love I love numbers, um, and uh, so yeah, I was really pleased I uh, I did that, but also really pleased. You know, I dropped out of the um, of the PhD, and uh, and then yeah, scratched my head about what to do, and went and did a little bit of travelling, as I think a lot of people do, um, and then worldwide, Europe wide. Uh, Europe predominantly, yeah. Europe, yeah. And I think, you know, that is the beauty of us being in the UK is there's just so much on our doorstep. I did a lot of the uh, the interrailing scene. Yeah. And, uh, did you, you know, take around. your clubs? 
Uh, I didn't actually know. No, I, <laughs> I just wondered because uh, there's lots of golf courses. Regret. I just thought it's a, a great <laughs> social sport, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I should have done, but uh, thankfully I've yeah been. Uh, do you do it on your own or with friends? Just with my girlfriend at the time. Um, wow. Yeah, we went and uh, bit a bit of excuse me did a bit of sightseeing, um, which was good fun. Um, and then, yeah, I came back and was looking at a graduate scheme and I was, I think I wanted to be an accountant. So I applied for all the obvious accountancy firms on their grad schemes and didn't particularly get anywhere. And then there was a thing called the Shell Step Scheme, which was a 12-week program specifically for postgraduates. Um, and I ended up going and doing a 12-week program with a company called First Capital Cashflow. Um, I remember going to the interview. I had a look at their website, went to the interview, still didn't really have a clue what they did. Somehow managed to blag my way through the interview and uh, and do the 12-week program with, uh, with First Capital Cashflow, which at the time was the parent company of Patient Plan Direct. So, you know, you asked me about that. Oh, okay, right, right. <coughs> Um, so, um, so yeah, that's how I, uh, how I ended up then becoming involved in, in, in patient plan direct. What, what seems like quite a long time ago now. So when, yeah. when was that Simon? Uh, that would have been almost probably, God, how long would that be? 10, 10 plus years ago now. Wow. I think. Yeah. And then yeah, you yeah. stayed there and you became commercial director of, of patient plan direct, but then, but then you left the organization. Um, was that quite often people just stay in organisations and they just keep moving and moving and they move up and they often stay within within that organisation because it feels comfortable, inertia, mm. lots of different reasons. Did you take a conscious decision to leave to build your, your skills with a view to kind of boomeranging back into the organisation or, or wasn't <coughs> it as kind of premeditated? I think of somebody like Ben Francis who obviously started Gymshark and he started it from his... his you know, in his lounge in his, in his mum's house but he then decided to leave the business to get experience elsewhere and now he's back in that business is that kind of was that in your thinking or didn't it work like that i'd love to admit it was as strategically planned as that Andy, but <laughs> no, no. no it was uh i i was just um i have a great relationship well obviously i've cut i've come back um i had a great relationship with with the guys at first capital cash flow and, and patient plan direct but I was just super conscious that I'd effectively come out of university and not really had exposure to anything other than that. Mm. And I'd just got this itch about, you know, just doing something a little bit different. And then uh, my uh, my partner, her family is on is on the Isle of Man. Uh, and she'd always expressed an interest in, uh, you know, going and giving it a whirl over there. So um, an opportunity came up for her and that sort of gave me a, an excuse to mm. um you know make 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 that move really mm. um but 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 leave on very very good terms and uh you know there was, was that pre-covid side it was yeah so this was in and around um would have been sort of september october time 2019 right. um so moved move to the island then and then obviously the world locked down a few yeah. months later I'm d- I, the only reason i was saying was it's quite interesting isn't it because in a way because at that point in time we weren't all zooming or teamsing or whatever, the, the the physical relocation to the Isle of Man sort of put a stop, almost created that natural divide, didn't it? Whereas yeah, in yeah. a way, if it had probably been during COVID, 
you would have people would have said, oh well, you can still keep running it from the Isle of Man yeah, because yeah, we can, yeah, it's, yeah. it's really fascinating yeah. that 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 that, yeah. that COVID in a, that COVID in a way was that delineator and the fortunately mm. before, so therefore moving physically gave you the mm. chance. And also, um, those of you who don't know Simon and we know Simon reasonably well, but um, for any accountants that are out there, I do apologise, but I think Simon, you are too interesting and fun to be an accountant so uh, <laughs> I think uh, you would be lost in accountants uh, any accountants uh, watching I do apologize for that but um, you do have a bit of a stereotype of me <laughs> so you left you left um, patient plan direct but you stayed in dentistry didn't you because didn't you move into the world of PR for a bit well I did so I um, yeah I um, well I actually moved uh, completely out of dentistry for a short period of time so I went to um, I went to a trust and corporate service provider so it's a huge industry out on the Isle of Man and I worked for a um, for an organization that uh, um, that was in that space and their their client base was predominantly in sub-Saharan Africa and, and primarily Zimbabwe and they brought me in to try and so they've got their regulated business but then they also um they've got some ideas uh around um some other business ventures that they wanted to sort of pursue so i i i got involved in in that so i actually the main thing i was doing is i set up a structure um with uh so zimbabwe export flowers into europe uh, and cut a long story short, the Zimbabwean farmers tend to get ripped off. So we sort of set up a trading structure in the Isle of Man to negotiate with Europe. And oh, okay. So essentially went into selling flowers for a little while. <laughs> it's almost um, a bit like trade craft or something, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll sell your coffee at decent prices. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I got, got to go out to Zimbabwe, which was pretty cool. Um, and, then, uh, and then COVID hit. Things changed. Um, a lot of their client base were in just sectors that just got hit really, really hard, and uh, ended up getting made redundant. Um, and uh, and then yeah, got talking with uh, with with Gemma at Barker PR, who yeah. I can't speak highly of enough, highly of enough. Uh, for anybody who's out there who needs um, PR in the dental industry, Gemma is absolutely yeah, we know amazing. Gemma. Well, yeah, uh, yeah she's nice, yeah. isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's 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 lovely to to go with. Been brilliant at a job as well, and um, so yeah, I got chatting with her. She she'd done some work with Patient Plan Direct in 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 the past, and uh, yeah, went and worked with uh, with Gemma for a few months, uh, and then uh, yeah, fa- fast fast forward again another few months, and uh, the opportunity arose at uh, Patient Plan Direct, and uh, and and you're and, back. And I'm back. Yeah. So, what's the scope of your role now? You're your MD of the business, but what does that what does that encompass? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, uh, it's still a little bit of still a little bit of everything in that you know we're still a small you know we've been around now for fifteen years, so we're very much an established organisation, but um, you know, still a small team, still a personable service, um, and uh, I think that, that is one thing. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy, um, but uh, yeah, so you know, I. I predominantly the sales and marketing side of the business. And I think, you know, previously when I was involved and we were still perhaps um, evolving our processes and our approach and quite honestly, just getting to grips with with dentistry. And what I mean by that is that Patient Plan Direct, you know, back at, at the beginning of its, um, when, it, when it came to fruition was a subsidiary of a parent company. 
and I would I would say perhaps only in the last seven or eight years when it's been a standalone company in its own right, you know, have we really sort of pressed forward and 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 now really sort of developed, I believe, a, a product and a service that's a great fit for 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 dental practices mm. um, versus some of the other plan providers out there in the market. Yeah. We we obviously we value dental practices. So over the last couple of years, we've seen an increased number of practices committing to plans mm. of different sorts because mm. the regularity of cash flow that it provides <laughs> within within Absolutely. your business. Have you seen? I suppose this is, this is probably a double barrel question. Have you seen more people coming to you that want to introduce a plan that they didn't have before because they can see the same benefit of having that that regularity of income? And are you also seeing people who are with you increasing the, the, the number of patients that are coming on? Because obviously for my part, you see independent free item private practices. Um, that can be quite lumpy. You, know, you can have good months and not so mm. good months. Mm. But also I'm thinking of people that have got NHS contracts who um, uh, may be in the future not looking to stay committed to the NHS to the extent they are mm-hmm. and we're looking to transition patients um, onto a, a plan-based Especially service. after COVID. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of questions in there, but you kind of get the gist in terms yeah, of yeah. how's it, how's it, how's it affected <laughs> your think business. The answer is yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think... Um, I think I think the big the big thing for us, and I, I hear on the grapevine it was it was the same for the other plan providers as well, is that it was a scary time when COVID hit and when you know dental practices shut as to you know are patients going to commit and carry on with their plan and how long a practice is not going to be able to be accessed for. But generally speaking, uh, you know patients stayed loyal, and I think that you know they bought into the concept of what a plan represents. Mm. And, not just the sort of financial benefit of a plan for a patient and a practice, but also, you know, the the, the, the sort of health benefits as well. Um, Can I just so ask a quick question there, Simon? Can I ask sure. a quick question? Because anecdotally, we would have said that we saw very little patient uh, attrition during those periods, that, that you exactly, didn't have yeah. much cancellation. But that, I, I, I'm assuming that would be your experience of it, was Ex- it? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly that. It, uh, it was. It was um, su- surprisingly positive on that front, um, which, um, yeah, which, is, which was a great thing for, for, for all parties mm. involved. Um, and, yeah, I think equally there's been... There has been an increase now in practices. Our existing client base, if they are perhaps a mixed practice and more focused on trying to get more patients on plan because of that recurring revenue that it Mm. creates. And I'm I'm sure many dentists would have slept a lot easier at night knowing that there is a plan base of Mm. um, patients creating that recurring income rather than revenue just just cutting off overnight. Um, I also believe as well, off the back of the pandemic, um, that perhaps society and consumers in general um, are more health aware and more committed to investing yeah, in, in, in their health, which, which sort of adds to the, uh, adds to the mix of, uh, of, of plan growth. Um, and to answer your question about the NHS, Andy, yeah, absolutely. And that, that's something we've been working on really hard the last few months is really polishing up on the very structured approach that we take to supporting a practice through that transition. So the sort of tools, the technology, the team that we've we've, we've built to take a practice from, I don't know where I'm going here, do I want to stay in the NHS, to exploring the various options of that transition. 
you know, and plugging the numbers and doing the viability and acid tests to ensure that what does a good conversion look like? What are my mm. options? What does what happens if this goes wrong? And getting mm. the team engagement involved and the whole training and patient communication that goes around that. We've done a lot of work around that purely based on on on, on the demand. I don't think it's any mm -hmm. secret that there are, you know, you see the stats out there. There are so many um, so many dentists that are leaving or in leaving or reducing the reliance on the NHS currently or planning to do so, you know, in the in the near future. And then, yeah, it, it makes sense for us to focus mm -hmm. our attention and has, on that. Has COVID changed the sort of practice that you work with in, in any shape or form? Are they bigger, smaller? Are they predominantly um, NHS practices that are looking to convert? Has, has there been a, a distinct change? Yeah. I mean, I would say, I would say, yes. There's, there's, uh, we're dealing with more. So our, our our business predominantly has been built on practices either launching the plan for the first time, or um, practices that um, uh, have have got an existing plan base with another plan provider and looking to cut costs. And in moving to us as a low cost plan provider, they achieve that. Mm -hmm. um, we're so we we still uh, are taking on that business. Um, but also now we're dealing with so many more um, mixed and NHS practices that are looking right. to make that transition. Because I think when we when we met, one of the things that surprised me was how quickly it can all go through. It was that, that I was I was sort of imagining it was quite a long run up, but <laughs> in reality, it's it's not as long as I think people perceive it to be. Is this the on the, on the NHS conversion side of things? Yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think the uh, you know the key to a successful conversion is just in the planning. Uh, and you know, just making sure that there's a really clear idea of where we're trying to get to, making sure the team are all clear on what's happening, why and when, clear communication to patients. But in terms of then sort of handing the contract back and and making the transition, it is a, I mean, depending on the way that you uh, you manage things, you know, typically mm. it's yeah. uh, can be as, as as little as a three month mm. process. Mm. And I guess for many practices, they're looking at it because there's inevitably changes coming down the line in relation to NHS dentistry around delivery volumes, how mm. it's going to mm -hmm. be centrally funded by government, um, changing patient behaviour. I think mm -hmm. COVID is affected mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. patients change and how they access dentistry. What, what are your What are your predictions for what the future of NHS dentistry could look like? Um, do, do you think it will get back to the way it was pre-COVID or do you think we're moving into a cycle where people will just going forward access dentistry in a different way than they did um, from the sort of early 2020? So, such a uh, such a good question and uh, I, th I think a well, lot the, the of question after like this is can I have your lottery numbers because if you know the answer <laughs> to it <laughs> you're a wise man <laughs> if, I, if I'm on it I'm sure I'm sure there is a you know a planning a, pl a plan in place in terms of what perhaps contract reform well that there are plans in place in terms of what contract reform where it look like and when that may come to uh, come to fruition but I, I would suspect if it's anything to go by with some of the stats that we see coming out. Um, so if you, if you look at the stats around, you know, how many dentists are either leaving or planning to leave, how heavily, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's no secret. Our, our, our main competitors are Practice Plan and Dem Plan. You, you pick up any dental magazine and look how hard they are promoting. Mm. Uh, are you, you know, look, mm. thinking of leaving the NHS, a brighter future in private dentistry? It's they're doing that for a reason because there's mm. such high demand there. So I think you know the next the next twelve months are going to be so interesting in terms of what that 
rate of of, uh, of dentists switching to private looks like, uh, I think that mm. will have a huge impact on what 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 reform looks like and, and what's and left to be what is actually viable. Mm. Do you uh, uh, on the business that you do, especially? post-covid is there geographical variances you know is there's like something there's more going on in the northwest or wales or whatever it might be or does it not really um, sort of go that way yeah interesting i mean at the minute perhaps there's a little bit more um going on in wales and i think that's just purely because they that they, they announced the sort of um the contract changes that were that kicked in from april a little sooner than than, than, mm. than in England. So perhaps, you know, England's just lagging behind a little bit in terms of people just assessing their options and thinking what they want to do. Um, but uh, aside from that, it's it's a pretty even split. You know, we're just, we're getting, yeah, inquiries from Cornwall through to Scotland and everywhere in between. Oh, wow. Cynthia, we talked to a dentist earlier on today and he was saying that um, he's expecting most dentists to be handing back a proportion or not delivering a proportion of their NHS contract at the moment. Mm. So there's going to be clawbacks all over the place. And mm. I do wonder, because on the private side, lots of practices have done particularly well, they may not actually have the capacity, as in surgery capacity, to continue delivering their NHS contract because yeah, and, their private fees have grown so well. resource in terms of dentists. Yeah. You know, yet again, yeah, yeah. talking to someone else with the, and it's, it seems to be a, a very poor secret that the fact of the lot of the newer dentists don't want to work either in the nhs or definitely don't want to work more than three days a week <laughs> yeah 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 i think that's a really interesting point about capacity and that you know i think last year and when we touched on just before about there was a drive from practices to add more patients to plan mm. obviously you can you can only sort of add so many really to um particularly you know with a membership or maintenance plan where you're just delivering exams and hygiene you don't want to take up too much of your time doing that and not allowing any time to actually uh, then Mm. facilitate treatment which you know can yield sort of higher income Mm. yeah no absolutely yeah you know i think uh, I, i would suspect this year in terms of our existing base of clients the um how many patients they add is likely to be um, less than uh, than, mm. than 2021. Mm. And do you have any sense that practices are actually growing their patient numbers, which leads to more patients being on a plan? Or is it um, a, a diversion business in that these are patients who are either using NHS services or purchasing their dentistry privately that are migrating from mm. that as a payment model onto plan? Mm. Because we have a That's thing that we're yeah. not sure that actually plan based patient numbers have significantly grown over the past few years it's more just you know the same numbers of patients are being moved around in a different way i was just interested to know whether your experience was that the actual numbers of patients are growing or whether they're just changing how they fund it yeah i mean i think uh in terms of internally within a practice i'm sure that you know if you take a base of plan patients that are either private or nhs i think what you were saying there that perhaps more are going to private and onto a plan is is uh, is right in terms of are there more plan patients as a whole currently i i, I was strong yeah I, I, absolutely um mm. just 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 purely from uh, from the appetite to uh of practices looking to convert from NHS to private. Mm. 
Mm. Just, just, just got to change in tact slightly um, on advice. Um, everyone talks about good advice, and there's, there's no shortage of people keen to give their two pennies worth. <laughs> um, what's the worst bit of advice you've ever had? Oh, because we do, don't we? We all talk Pro- about probably, good advice, and we share, we share, we share good advice all the to, time. Uh, do, do, probably thinking back to uh, going back to uh, my uh, university days and the course that I chose. Just do something you enjoy. Just yeah. do something you enjoy. It's not not always, um, and may, maybe you can carry that through life. You know, if 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 we all did something we absolutely enjoyed, uh, then um, it'd be a very interesting world. So I think mm. you've got well, to. That's sit, that, that's that, that icky guy it. thing, isn't it? Have you heard that icky guy <laughs> thing where if you do something you love, something that makes you money, something people need, you know, you kind of get to that thing where you you, you you're doing what's important. And I think. Yeah, in, 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 in a kind of reverse way, I think it is great advice to find something mm. you enjoy because it then doesn't feel like work, does it? I think we're all very fortunate in what we do that we kind of don't necessarily feel like on a on, a, on most days it is work. It's, just, it's just enjoyable what we do. I'm just mm. trying to think, is there a degree on wine tasting for three years? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. Couldn't you could do the, couldn't at one time you could do a degree in Elvis or something? Yeah. Yeah. Do you see the um, the landscape changing much in dentistry going forward? Um, you know, there's obviously a, a recruitment issue at the moment, generally that's, that's that's hitting dentistry. But but what's your take on where dentistry is heading in the future in terms of what that that profession is going to look like? I think it's it's uh, yeah. This, 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 again, not to uh, to sound like a broken record, but I think this this year and just that transition from uh, dentists just thinking, unfortunately, the NHS system uh, is just no longer commercially viable. Uh, then it's just going to be such a drive towards towards private private dentistry, uh, mm-hmm. and then the impact that that has on what a reform looks like, um, how the government fund NHS dentistry moving forward. It'll just be really interesting to see how that plays out mm. in uh, in the coming months or coming coming years and i think you know that has been i think another frustration of dentists for so long is that how long is it now since we've been waiting for um you know a, a contract reform from the uda system uh, it seems like um like an eternity um and uh, still i think a lot of uncertainty around um around when and what that's going to look like Mm. No, I agree. I agree. It's, mm. it's been really interesting yeah, to, get your, to get your take on it. Well, it's a very different view, isn't it? It's yeah. a different slant because you're not from our side or a dentist. You're sort of looking at it from a commerciality of a of mm. a plan. That's right. Yeah, but actually, it's a really important integral part of yeah, dentistry yeah, because going forward, <laughs> um, there will be more and more patients wanting to access dentistry through a private channel yeah, of yeah. some sort or other yeah. and having access to a payment mechanism as a practice and as a practice owner <laughs> is really important. So to get those insights is really useful. Really and people useful. should review. I think that's the thing that, that I always think is, you know, just because you've been with one plan provider, mm. then maybe they should review what they've got because, you mm. know, some of the figures talking to Simon, they're yeah. you know, not not being a PPD advert, but, yeah, you know, no. the, answer is, oh, the answer is you should yeah. definitely consider what you've got. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and, I, and I think on that point, Chris, and another big, a huge thing for us, and thinking back to the whole, why did Patient Plan Direct come to market in the first place? It was a subsidiary of a payments bureau, um, predominantly providing direct debit processing solutions for 
corporate entities, public sector, right through to the sort of SME market. And in the world of direct debits, not to get too technical, but there's a facility called the bulk change process, whereby if um, you know a, a bunch of direct debits with one provider wants to move across to another provider, there's a, there's a banking facility to make that an easy process you need to write to the um, to the well in this instance the patient to advise them of what's happening and when, and um, and then the whole transfer of the direct debit happens in the background. And Patient Plan Direct very much came to market as a cost saving proposition, with that facility in mind, thinking that if a practice wanted to switch from a competitor provider to us, then they could do so with ease because there's a specific functionality in place to achieve that and for many years and to the uh, it's been the, the bane of our lives that um, other providers just haven't played ball with that process until the back end of last year when finally the regulators got a grip on things and now um, all plan providers have signed up they're now mm. um, um, accredited facilities management providers in the world of direct debits mm. which in layman's terms means that if a practice wants to let's say they've got a thousand patients with another plan provider and they can save and as you say uh, Chris you know it's it's tens of thousands of pounds in some instances I, I just think it's one of those things as us as, as say we're, we're not doing a PPD advert but but we mm. countenance to people you know they should review it's about getting value for money you should review your plan <laughs> provider you should review Absolutely, your yeah. provider you should review your banking provider you oh, know yeah. because ultimately people get stuck in this sort of rut we even mm. say it with Frank mm. Taylor Associates you know <laughs> by all means go and find another valuation you know it, it's about value for money yeah. and what you get done it's uh, yeah, I think yeah. it's one of those things that people should just look at really absolutely yeah and absolutely. I, I think it's come at it's come at a great time for us even though it's been 14 years in the waiting um but you know we because we've been around that time now i feel like our team our technology and our whole proposition and how we can support a practice to really achieve their plan objectives is as good as it's ever been so mm. If you can get everything you need uh, and it costs you a lot less than another provider, then absolutely, Chris, all, all we ask practices to do is just take that time to, it should be just a regular good business practice to just mm. review your service providers and think, well, am I getting value here? Ex explore mm. other options. Yeah, and value for if money. The provider, sorry, yeah, if, if the provider you're working with is is doing a great job, then brilliant. And and, and in many cases, that will be the case, but for some, mm. it, it won't be. So, mm, um, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Cheers, Simon. That's that's great. It's really good to get kind of um, sort of under the engine of, of what goes on, view. what goes on in a business, which is mm. which, which is good. We always wrap up in the same way. We always ask our, I guess, two the two same questions at the end. And the the first one we've got for you is: if you could be the fly on a wall with somebody in a certain situation, where where would that be? When would it be? Who would you be with? Yeah, so um, I did think about, I was going to go political on this, but I thought always oh, best to steer away from that if <laughs> you can. So uh, I'm going to go, I couldn't decide between two, so I'm going to mention them both if that's all right. They are both sports orientated, okay. I've mentioned I'm big into my sports. So the first one would have been the uh, 2012 Ryder Cup, the Miracle in Medina. Oh, yeah. So this is when the European team were way behind the Americans going into the last day, and I'd have just loved to be in a, fly on the wall um, in the um, in sort of the team locker room before they went out and then also just one afterwards and just to see that whole sort of journey and uh, 
and uh, yeah, the celebrations afterwards. The jubilation at the end, yeah. Probably like Real Madrid last night, for those of you. Uh, that, that would date the yeah. podcast a bit, watching that, that Champions League. It would. God, yeah, that was some game, some game. Which leads me on to actually, Chris, and I know this will relate to you both, both big football fans. The other one would have been the uh, the 2000, I think it was 2005 Champions League final, um, Liverpool AC Milan. Ah, yeah. Again, you know, 3-0 down at half time to be a fly on the wall in the dressing room at half time. And then uh, what they must have felt like afterwards to come back from that was just um, such an amazing game. Yeah. yeah, yeah, those those kind of triumphs when it's all against you are always great mm. stories, aren't they? When you're the, you know you're either the underdog or yeah. you're on your last legs and somehow you manage to sort of turn it yeah, around. Yeah. No, they're great ones. They're great ones. And then our yeah. our last one is if you could meet someone, um, who would you who would you like to meet if you were given the opportunity? Yeah, so the, um, a guy called James Clear. Have you have you heard of him? He wrote oh, Atomic Habits. Called- yeah, Atomic yeah. Habits, and he has a, uh, a uh, I think it's a weekly newsletter called Three Two One, um, mm. which is sort of three insightful tips from him, two quotes from people to get you thinking about things, and then a question. And it's the it's it's a, I've probably subscribed to that for a good few years now, and look forward to it every week. If if you've not signed up to it, highly recommend it. Very very thought provoking and a really interesting guy to just sort of. Um, yeah, just highlight just how important habit and focus is. And, you know, it's just, I think that is such a big part of, of success in any business is just having that discipline, focus, um, and, and, and habits of doing the right things as well, of course. That's the other key mm-hmm. to success. Otherwise, if you're not focusing on the right things, then uh, you're obviously not going to get to where you yeah, want to be. But, uh, really interesting guy. Brilliant, Simon. That's absolutely wonderful. That's fabulous. That's really good. Really good. Um, well, go on, we'll let you go because there's probably a golf course waiting for yeah. you somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we really, really appreciate your time today. It's been really good to catch up. Yeah, yeah thank no, you. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you having me on and uh, all the best for the yeah. rest of 2020. Cheers, Simon. Thanks, yeah, no, thanks for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.